Good morning, Live Oak. So glad that you could be here with us this morning, even if it is in your living room. We are turning the page. We're actually in a new chapter of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. I am very excited about sharing this particular sermon with you today because it is an incredible story about a man with incredible faith. And so uh, I um, just to encourage you to um, turn to Luke chapter 7 also. If you have um, if you have the U version um, Bible app on your phone, uh, you can go to there and look at events, and you can see uh, if you're watching this uh, Sunday morning, uh, there is a virtual bulletin for you to follow. Um, if you don't have that app, I strongly recommend it. Go to your um, go to your app store, uh, whether it's Apple or Android, and look for U version. Y-O-U version Bible app. And there's uh, just some notes to follow along with me there. All right, let's pray as we get ready for God's word. Lord, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the privilege it is to come into your house and to every house right now and to share your word. Lord, and I just pray that your, uh, your word would pierce our hearts and our souls and affect us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So early in my Christian journey, uh, I signed up to go on a mission trip with our college, and we went to Key West. It was a, I tell you, suffering for Jesus, a bunch of college students heading down to Key West to do beach ministry. And we studied to learn how to kind of share, um, share different uh, gospel techniques to share the gospel and that kind of thing. And so we studied, we learned the verses we needed for those particular uh, you know, uh, events and, and ministries and that kind of thing. And so uh, it came time for us to go down to the, to the beach and we were there. It was me and a group of people and I was the oldest of us. And I was a, a youth pastor of, of a couple of years at this point. And so I was seen as kind of the pro, you know, I was the team leader of this particular uh, group that went out to share the gospel on the beach and so we went and we were, you know we would hand down bottles of water and uh, little gospel tracts and say hey can we talk to you about Jesus nine times out of ten they would say no 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 thanks for the water but take a hike you know uh, we don't want your Jesus thing right now and so but every now and again you would have someone that would say sure sit down let's chat you know we would chat with them and we felt really good that we were able to share the gospel. It was a very positive thing. Except one time we came up to this one gentleman and he began to ask questions that were off, <laughs> off the playbook, so to speak. I wasn't prepared for these questions and he began to quote scripture and what did I think about that particular scripture and how it lined up with this other particular scripture. And everyone in the group, everyone on my team started looking at me and saying, Sean, what do you think? And I was completely um, caught flat-footed in that moment, and I was very embarrassed. It, it embarrassed me, and I realized that I had not trained for that. I was training for specific things. I was not studying God's Word. And someone who was not even a believer in Jesus Christ was schooling me on God's Word. It was very embarrassing. And so uh, we're going to look at a situation kind of like that. Uh, in the scripture this morning. So uh, let's, um, uh, let's jump in. You know, good sermon writing uh, uh, is biblical and theologically sound, and good sermon writing always keeps Jesus, i.e. the gospel, front and center. But today, the main character of this sermon is not 
Jesus, the main character, is a Gentile centurion slave owner, okay? He's the hero of this text this morning, a Gentile, a non-Jewish centurion Roman guard who happened to be a slave owner. So let's dive into the text this morning, 7, 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now this was Jesus after he had done that. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them and returning and turning to the crowd that followed him. He said, I tell you, even in Israel, have I, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant. Well, that's a reading of his word. And as we unpack it, we recognize a lot going on here. We realize, we see that uh, as Jesus is moving into Capernaum, as we see that this is a, an area uh, that Jesus spends a lot of time, as he comes into this place, uh, a centurion has a servant, a slave, who had become ill, um, and, and ill to the point of death. Again, this is Dr. Luke who is writing this, who's a doctor. So if he says this to the point of death, we kind of understand that this is a very serious illness that has happened. And the centurion had uh, favor, shown favor upon this particular servant. And so as he sends, um, he, he sends the elders his way uh, to see if Jesus would be willing to heal his servant. There is a lot here. And, and, and what Jesus, and, and Jesus hears from the centurion that this man, have I not even seen in Israel faith like this Gentile. And you had to, you just had to know that the, 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 the Jewish leaders around him would have kind of felt a little sheepish, would have felt like, wow, I, you know, I'm not measuring up this, this Roman centurion showed more faith than even all the Jews that have been around us. So to, this morning, we're going to look at a couple of things. We're going to look at the centurion. We're going to look at the response of Jesus, and we're going to look at what it means to have that kind of faith. Okay, so first thing we're going to look at, uh, we're going to unpack the character, the contribution, and the confidence of the centurion. We're going to unpack this and, and see kind of what makes him tick. What, what, what were some of the special things about this centurion? Okay, the first thing is the character of the centurion. The servant was sick and he cared. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you, but in that day and time when a slave 
was sick or when a slave died or when a slave got you know, injured, it was, it was like a piece of property. You would have been upset to the same extent as you would have been upset had your TV stopped working or your chair uh, had a broken leg. It was, they were a piece of property, not anything that really should have ex expected uh, a, sense of, um, a sense of grief out of. And so that shows a little bit of the heart of the centurion. Yes, he had slaves, but he cared for them. And when this particular slave was sick, he cared. And he went out of his way to see if he could get him help. He was willing to reach out, not even necessarily reach out. He was willing to reach down to others for help, requiring humility that is not usually associated with a Roman centurion. These guys are bred for macho. These guys are bred for the idea that they are to domineer over everyone in the way, to show, to usher in the will of Rome. That was their entire being. They were trained to force the will of Rome over everyone else. And so this was a, a, a big deal for not only for him to ask for help, but he was asking for help from someone that was beneath his status. I mean, imagine you going to someone that is way beneath you, going to a homeless person and asking for help. And see, it's, hold on, let's stay, think about that for a second, but let's continue. Sharing that not only he wants help from this man, help from this Jewish vagabond, this traveling preacher, not only did he want help from this man, but then shares that he wasn't worthy to have this particular Jew even come inside his home. So imagine that you are asking for help from this homeless person, but you are so humbled that you don't feel it worthy for them to come into your home, that they are too good, they are too powerful for them to enter into your dwelling. You see a lot of character in this centurion. This, this particular character in the Bible doesn't get near as much attention as he should. The character of him, to, he cares about this slave that is usually seen as disposable property. And even the humility that he has to say to Jesus, listen, I need help from you, a lower class citizen. And he does not order. He does not demand. In fact, he says, I am not even worthy for you to come to my home. The character of the centurion is amazing. Also, the contribution of the centurion. This particular centurion had a, a, a great relationship with the Israel, Israel, Israelite people. He, um, I don't know, we don't know anything about why. He, he had a respect for these people. He uh, either respected their God or respected their traditions. There was something that endear, endeared him to these people. And that is it's just a, a special thing about who he was. And it says in the scripture that he, um, that he was good to them and that he was also the one that got them their synagogue built. They got their, he, he, he is the one, um, let's read it right here, uh, pleaded with him, he is worthy to have, uh, to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So he was generous 
with his finances and his influence. And can I tell you, as a pastor of 25 years and been part of many building projects and church, um, you know, building projects and things like that, I can tell you, nothing happens without finances and influence, okay? Things don't get built without finances and influence. And so this particular centurion was generous. He was generous with his finances. He was generous with his influence. And you need to know that, uh, you know, how you never know how your generosity is going to be repaid. Now, I don't, I don't think that this centurion did that, gave them the synagogue. I don't think that he was generous and, and good to these people, hoping that one day I'm going to have a servant that is sick and they will, might have a faith healer that will help me down the road. I don't think that was it at all. I think it was just in his nature to be generous. And it's just amazing. It's just part of God's economy as we are generous, how the blessings come back to us. And, and that's not why we should be generous, but it is amazing how, how those of us, those people who are generous, those of you who are generous and give of yourselves, how the Lord seems to take care of those needs around you. So we look at the character of the centurion, the, the contributions of the centurion, and also the confidence of the centurion. The faith of the centurion impressed Jesus. The confidence that he held and knew that Jesus not only had the power and authority to heal, but faith in knowing that he didn't even have to be there. You see, there was a, there, there was a confidence. The centurion had confidence in the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is amazing stuff. This man is amazing. I mean, when you look at the character, his contributions, his generosity, his confidence, his faith. I mean, it's amazing when you look at just this short little story about how not only he is, but a, just a fantastic uh, representation of who we should be. And so next, let's look at the, 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 the response of Jesus in verse 9. It says, Jesus says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus marveled. He was amazed at the centurion faith. Now, when I read this passage, when I read that from Jesus, I immediately looked at my own life. And I asked myself, when was the last time I did anything? that would come close to marveling Jesus? When is the last time I showed any kind of faith that Jesus would look at and go, wow, that's, that's impressive. When was the last time I did anything to amaze him? This would have been a sting, as I said earlier, to the Israelites looking and watching. So let's look at this faith idea. That's the takeaway here, that, that the centurion had faith that he, Jesus didn't even have to be there. The centurion had faith that Jesus could heal if he wanted to. So let's unpack this idea of faith. The centurion reveals that the source of our faith is recognizing our authority. Not my authority, but where the authority comes from. It's, it's called spiritual authority. The foundation of our faith is based upon our spiritual authority that we have in Christ, who is the ultimate authority. 1 Peter 3, uh, 21 and 22 says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven 
and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father and everything is subjected to him. And so we have, as Christians, we are part of the authority that Jesus has. We're, we're, we're in his name. We pray in Jesus' name. We believe in Jesus' name because I have no authority in heaven to do anything. However, under the umbrella of Jesus, I have amazing authority. Jesus has the authority and I can do amazing works. I can do amazing things. I can do amazing uh, uh, demonstrations of God's power, not through my authority, not through my strength, but through the strength of Jesus Christ. It's similar to this idea on a much smaller scale to the idea if, if, the, if the police come to your door, open up police. Now, if someone came to my door, open up. No, I'm not. I'm not going to open up my door because you just knocked abruptly and that scared me. Okay, I'm not going to open up my door. Or if it's just this man that open up under my authority. No. Open up, it's the police. Now I open up because if this man who is knocking abruptly on my door is doing so under the authority of the police. And they wear a badge showing that they represent the police. So we operate under not our authority, but under the authority of Jesus. So why did his faith marvel Jesus? Why did his faith surprise Jesus? I think, honestly, I think it's not so much because... It was a centurion. I don't know if it was just the the big ask and that he was willing to the, the, the way he was willing to ask for it to be done from a distance. I don't I don't think it was what or even who that made Jesus marvel. I think it's simply the fact that faith is rare. It's rare for people, us, even believers, to have faith. When we live in a time and a culture where we no longer can place our faith in our government, we live in a time and a culture where we no longer can place our faith in the news. We live in a time and a culture where we no longer can place our faith in science and education because everyone seems to have an agenda. Every, the government has their agenda. The news has their agenda. Even science, which is supposed to be based upon truth. You can't even believe science because that science might be based on this agenda. And there, this science might be based on that agenda. It is amazing how in our culture, in our time, we have very little that we can look at and say, that I believe. So when a preacher comes and tells you that you must live and you must have faith in a God you cannot see embodied by his son from 2,000 years ago, that is a stretch for many people. It's, a, it's, it's incredibly difficult for people outside the church to hear me say that you're so, you just need to have faith and you need to have faith and do what this book says based upon 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years of word. It's difficult for people outside the church to get that. My frustration isn't with the skeptics 
outside the church. It is with the skeptics inside the church that causes me the greatest amount of frustration. Church, where is our faith? The world out there is looking for something to believe in. They're looking for something to have faith in. Church, they need to see you walking and living in faith. But faith in what? Faith in Jesus. And who he said he was. And who he said he could be. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We have to have faith. We have to show our faith. Jesus says, if you believe in me, I will allow you to do even greater things. Miracles can still happen, but we have to have faith. But people don't have faith. Jesus marveled because he saw faith in the centurion. He's like, Dad, God, I couldn't even have, I couldn't even see faith in the church. And here's someone outside the church that has faith. And I think today he would say the same thing. He can't find faith in the church. And we're looking for people outside the church to have faith in Christ. When so often people inside the church don't have faith in Christ. There's a difference between belief and faith. Many of you sitting at home, many of you sitting in these pews, you believe in Jesus. You believe his words. You believe that there is a God. You believe that Jesus is the son. You, all these things you believe in your head. But you don't have faith. Have you ever been bungee jumping? I've never been bungee jumping. Um, I, I, I could never, I got halfway up the ladder and uh, chicken out and came down. But I've done this other thing. Um, it's called uh, the, the catapult or something like that, where you sit in a chair, uh, you and a buddy, and I got peer pressured into doing this. So you sit in the chair and it's like a big rubber band slingshot. I think that's what it was called, slingshot. And you sit in there and you actually have to pull the lever and it sends you up into the um, stratosphere. Now, I sat in this thing and I was buckled in and, and I'm there and I believed, I believed that I was going to live. Kind of. I saw other people live before me do it. I believed. But it wasn't until I pulled that lever that I had faith. Too many of us believe, but we don't have faith. Do you have faith that Jesus loves you? Do you have faith that Jesus answers prayer? Do you have faith in the gospel to save the world? These seem like simple, trite questions, but it's the difference between a believer with power and a believer that simply exists. So what does this mean for us? First, do not become complacent, Christian. Believer, please do not become complacent. Don't become satisfied in your faith sitting in your salvation and expecting everything to be okay. Don't become complacent. Don't get used to being a Christian. Complacency is the enemy of power. If someone comes to you and says, my friend is dying, I want you to believe and have faith that when you pray, things happen. 
Never forget where your authority comes from. It ain't you. You don't have to cower because it's not your power you're relying on. It's the power of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the resurrection, resurrected Christ in us through the Holy Spirit of God. And thirdly, your faith is to be used. So use it. What an incredible story as we look at a Gentile Roman soldier, slave owner. Who would have thought that that man would be such an example for us today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this incredible moment in your journey as you interacted with this centurion guard. May we learn to be, God, much more like him. May we have the character of the centurion guard. May we have the, um, the, 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 the generosity of the centurion guard and the confidence of the centurion guard. I pray we would be a people of faith, that we would be a people that our faith is in action. I pray for those that are still on the fence. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, right now you would work on their heart and that they would stop being believers and that they would be people of faith. They would stop being complacent and that they would have power. For those who are still on the outside looking in, that they would recognize that, Lord, you are the giver of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If any of you are out there and you are still kind of wondering about this idea of faith, this idea of Jesus, I strongly encourage you to reach out to email me or uh, any of the elders and, and let's have a conversation because this is your soul and this is eternity we're talking about. And so I just strongly encourage you to reach out to one of us and make that, that, uh, that decision that crosses you over from death to life. Thank you. Have a great day. Can't wait to see you in person very, very soon.